What does it take to make workshops work? And how can we facilitate collaboration that sticks and leads to results? My name is Miriam Hapnas, and with the Workshops Work podcast, I'm on the mission to find the magic ingredients that make workshops work. Today with me on the show is Giulio Maria Mujoro, and he is joining from Mozambique and sharing his wisdom about training and what there is to make learning experiences stick beyond the training room. So stay tuned. And by the way, if you don't have pen and paper at hand to take your own notes, why don't you visit workshops.work and download my free one-page summary. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, Julio. Welcome to the show. Hi, Miriam. I'm super happy to be here today. Yes, and you're calling in from Mozambique. Yes, in Southeast Africa. Wonderful. I think you're my first guest from Africa. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, Africa represented. Woohoo! Yes, finally. <laughs> so excited. So now, no pressure. Do your best. We'll present the continent. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, such a pressure. <laughs> well, let's start slowly with a warm-up question. Let's do this. What got you into training and when did you call yourself a facilitator? Ooh, I guess, you know, growing up, my mother was a teacher, so that was a huge thing. Education was just part of uh, my childhood growing up. I really started to call myself a trainer only when I was in university. I became a lecturer assistant for three of my best teachers. So that's where I really started. And alongside with a friend, we created a technical vocational training program to serve underserved youth in Shimoyu, which is a small city in Mozambique. Mm -hmm. That's when really things really, you know, make a shift. So, okay, it's official. I'm a trainer. Let's make, let's start doing this professionally. <laughs> and where would you draw the line between training and education? If you say that you started as teacher and yeah. your parents are teachers. Yeah. So where's the shift to training? I think it was, especially when I was in university, I will have some really boring teachers, you know, they will just come in and read the slides. And sometimes they will just go around and rumble about their lives. And I'll be like, seriously, <laughs> you know, like I could be just reading those PDFs and, you know, just having great grades. Our point karaoke. Yeah, right. But then I will also have such great professors that, you know, I will really feel bad for missing a class. You know, I will really want to be there uh, because they will just make sure that they were sharing so much knowledge with us and so much practical knowledge as well. And there was like, okay, so education doesn't have to be boring. Mm -hmm. You can really make it to be practical and useful and insightful as well. So would this mean that training is basically facilitated teaching so you make it easy to or facilitated learning i love the definition i'm gonna use that <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> but sure that's what it is i guess that there's no point especially if you are an adult there is no point if you're learning something that is not going to be useful for your life right mm -hmm. either to make to facilitate your decision making process either to just make sure that you are emotionally on a good place to just operate and make decisions or there are actually some key actions that you can take um, to elevate your life or your business. Yeah. Yeah, and then the role of a facilitator being the person who actually creates the space where people feel... Yeah, right, right. Because mentally I get ready to take these decisions. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I got a lot of questions around my company's name, Sharing Knowledge International. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people think that it's, oh, me, Laura Julie is the huge, big expert that knows it all. When in fact, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but I just facilitate people remembering things that most of the times they already know, they just mm-hmm. forgotten. Other times it's just, you know, accelerating uh, the whole process of them connecting the dots. And sometimes, of course, I bring some new insights, but usually it's just me facilitating that process, holding the space for those things to happen. So, so sharing knowledge international. Now I have yeah. to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so, is it, so if you say that it's not about you sharing knowledge, is it then yeah. about the groups sharing knowledge with each other or is it a movement where you share knowledge with the world? <laughs> it's actually a movement where I'm facilitating people sharing knowledge with each other mm-hmm. and also Uh, you know, facilitating knowledge, let's say it's in America, and I'm facilitating the knowledge to come to Africa, and knowledge from Africa to go to Europe. I know just this interconnectedness and just uh, sharing really what people know. Because I found that sometimes, even in Mozambique, right, I might be doing a training in Maputo, and people really figure some stuff out. And then I go to, let's say, uh, the northern Mozambique, and people go struggling with knowledge that people from the south already got it, right? Mm. So just facilitating that interaction is really useful. There are a few questions coming up in my mind. Bring them in, bring them in. Yeah, so one is, what is it about knowledge sharing that becomes different when it's within one group as opposed to knowledge sharing, as you said, traveling from the US to Africa and vice versa? Because I think there's a lot of knowledge that also has to travel from Africa to the US yeah. to Europe. So I guess um, when you are sharing knowledge within a closed group, the first thing that I often do is just ensure that people feel safe enough to share, right? That's one. And also mm-hmm. people feel self enough to question that a knowledge has been shared, but also to embrace it. So that mm-hmm. people are not resisting, even though they are within the same group, right? And most of the time it's just facilitating the conversation because people really end up doing the work. Now, when it comes for, for me to like share knowledge from one location to the other, I often operate as a filter around and making sure that, you know, this knowledge is really useful for the local context, or mm-hmm. at least just setting up the basis for people to do that by themselves, right? Because in the end of the day, I can bring the best knowledge in the world. Uh, the participants are the ones who are going to have to create a connection with that knowledge first and then tailor for their daily lives. Mm. So how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> by magic <laughs> share um, your magic sauce with us. <laughs> within a group i always found that you know and i remember from my very first classroom ever in the previous you know my early days of technical vocational training i came in, in the class thinking that you know i'm going to have fun because to me learning should be fun and the fact is a lot of the participants they were used to see the teachers as this kind of like godlike figure, right? Mm-hmm. Like knowing it all and they should never question what a professor or a teacher or a trainer was saying. And I was like, this is not it. I was doing training from like 7 a.m. till 5 p.m. So I wanted mm-hmm. to have fun during those moments. And I said, you know what, guys, let's forget about it. Let's just, uh, you know, sit in a circle in the floor. Let's just shovel all of those desks. Let's just have fun. And let's start by, by sharing our biggest failures. And I started by doing that myself. And they were like, oh, so you guys, you're just a normal guy, right? You're just a human being. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want you guys to understand and feel. So I feel that people end up connecting more over failures than they do over success, right? Because when you speak about success, usually there's a lot of competition kicking in. Mm -hmm. So just creating, making sure that people feel safe to speak. There's no right or wrong things to say. Really just you sharing what you think is 
the first thing when I do when I'm working with groups, right? But then when I go to transferring knowledge from, let's say, one organization to the other or one place to the other, it's really important for me to get a very honest look on the group that I'm working with, Mm -hmm. right? So that I make sure that I'm bringing up examples and knowledge that's actually going to open up possibilities and not constrain people. So let's say I did a training in the US and I'm going to share some key insights with uh, an audience in Southeast Asia, for instance, right? If I'm not careful enough to really understand my target group, I might bring an example they're going to say, oh, it's easier for you to say because in the US they have facilities to, uh, or easy process to create a business. We don't have that in Southeast Asia, right? So instead of opening up possibilities, that's what I believe any trainer should do, I'm creating a constraint, right? So you have to be mindful of those things. Always know your target group and what really is going to matter to them. Mm. And what I hear is not only mental possibilities, but also possibilities that are actually related to the reality, to the resources that are actually available. Yeah, because everyone comes from a different background, right? Yes. Some things will make a lot of sense in the in Africa, but wouldn't make in the US. I was just having a, recording a different podcast around, you know, what does it take to be an entrepreneur in Africa and what mm-hmm. is it to have in the US? And the fun thing I was mentioned that in Africa, for instance, mobile money is a huge thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to some countries like Zimbabwe, they don't even use physical money, money at all. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. at all, right? So there's something that in the US or even in Europe is not that common. People still are very attached with fiat money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? fintech was born basically in Africa. Um, yeah, I think yeah, the very yeah. first country that had that was maybe Kenya 15 years yeah. ago or so, yeah. or 20 even. I'm getting old. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a very different amount of technology that here is branded as M-Pesa. They started in Kenya and then went to Tanzania, to Malawi, and all of African mm-hmm. countries. But really just being aware of those contextual uh, differences really makes a huge impact on how you're going to share your knowledge with people, right? Having that empathy and openness to learn. Yeah. And what I find interesting in what you're saying is two. One is as you're per- the way you're perceived as a trainer is one. So I worked both in West Africa and in Southeast Asia in Vietnam. And I encountered the same situation where I <laughs> arrived there as a white lady with an yeah. academic title. And then everyone looks at me and waits for the answer. I'm like, no, 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 I'm here to ask you questions because you know, and I don't. And I would be interested in your experience to show this vulnerability because I, I do agree that we connect better over failures. But on the other hand, I think it's a very thin line, as a, especially as a trainer, to show vulnerability through failure and still not risk the respect yeah. of the group. <laughs> yes, yes, and, yes. And where is, in your experience, the difference to, to show this vulnerability in the cultural context, so in the US versus Africa versus Southeast Asia? Yeah, 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 sure. So it really, I remember having this conversation with my mother, really, because she mm. was a great teacher. I remember... Um, when I was in school, people would always say, oh, your mother is such a great teacher. And I was asking her our way home, like, how you can be such a great teacher? Everyone comes to tell me that you're a great teacher. And she says, you know what? The main difference is that when I don't know something, I just say, you know what? That's such a great question. I don't have the answer yet. I'm going to go and look for it. Or if anyone mm-hmm. in the audience have the answer, please just share. I would love to learn, right? So you are showing your trainees that you are a human being and you mm-hmm. are willing to embark in a learning journey. 
right? And they immediately open up for um, your, your vulnerability, one. But two, that learning is a journey. No one mm-hmm. has all the answers. It's your ability to constant pursue those answers that really matter, right? And in my case, not only doing that, as you mentioned, you know, uh, sharing knowledge in Africa or in uh, in America or in Southeast Asia, but even because of my age, I'm super young. I'm 25 years old at the time oh, of wow. the recording. Yeah. And I most of my students, they're way older than me, right? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I notice is that you have to know what you're talking about, right? Of course, you don't have to know it all, but you have to have pretty good, solid track record on what you're talking about. So you have to know your business. That's Mm -hmm. the number one thing, right? You have to know your business. And even with that, you have to be willing to showcase vulnerability and failures, but make sure that you are showcasing or sharing what you've learned with it. So it's not just about going and make out and making mistakes, right? It's not about just, you know, falling with your face flat on the floor. It's about what you've learned with that process that people really, really value, right? And once you do that, mm-hmm. yeah, people really get that, oh, it's okay for me to make a mistake as long as I'm learning something. You know, my trainer did a mistake. It was huge. I even laughed about it. But then look at what he's learned, right? And that was makes people really just connect with what you're saying as a trainer. Yeah. Once I, um, I had a mentor and he always said, it's not about falling down or getting up. It's about minimizing the time between falling yeah. down and getting up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he always asked, okay, if I had kind of a down, he asked, okay, how will you react in a year from now? Will you laugh about it? And if the answer was yes, then he said, okay, then start laughing about it tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Because the entire year to start laughing about a failure is basically a waste of energy. If you know that in the future you will, start. Yeah, start doing now, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I was actually being asked, you know, how can you be so young and be speaking about legacy and, you know, knowledge and all those stuff you speak about? I was like, really, my, or where did you learn all of those things that you know? And I was. I believe that life is a learning experience. Mm. And the whole point of this is you shorten your learning curve. If you do that, you don't need 10 years mm. to be called an expert, right? If you're really intense about your learning journey, if you really put yourself into it, you can have in five years the results that people spend even a lifetime getting those results. Yeah, if you don't get out there and dare to do stuff, then you don't yeah. get the experience. And then you can grow old without any experience because you basically lived on your couch. Yeah. I get that. And I read that you were you received a, a prize or nominated as a amongst yeah. the hundred most influential youth in Africa. <laughs> I mean insane, right? <laughs> not in Mozambique, no, in Africa. Africa is yeah. huge, right? Yeah. What's the story behind that? I mean, how did you get there? To be honest, um, even today, I have to remind myself of that that it really happened. Um, to give everyone a context, there is an estimate that we have around 20 million young people in Africa. So to be called one of the hundreds most influential ones and deep dive in one of the top 10 when it comes down to social business and philanthropy, it's insane. And wow. really, it's fun. Yeah, it okay, is. It can is. we just, okay, you top 10 <laughs> in social business and philanthropy. Yes. So wow. you're not only one of the hundred, you're one of the top 10. And I was like, okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. And I was like, okay, I really need to step up my game now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started 
To be honest, I was watching, I was renovating my house and I was watching YouTube house tours and there was this South African woman who won the award. And I remember thinking, wow, and she's on a huge star. Like she has thousands of social media followers. She's a TV host. She's like doing it all. And I was like, it's so interesting, right? And then in 2018, actually, I was starting to make my kind of vision board for the next six months. And one of the things that I decided that was that I was going to get the most recognition, especially international recognition that I could get so that I could spread the message within, you know, those rooms where people in power usually sit Mm -hmm. and they are completely disconnected with what's going on in the front lines. Mm -hmm. So I could be in those rooms and really share what people were suffering, right? What's going through. It wasn't about me necessarily. It was about people that I support. And winning awards will make sense. And okay, I was just Googling for awards that I could uh, apply to. I won two of them before that. I won the Diana Award from the UK. Mm-hmm. I was one of the most outstanding delegates in Global Goals Model United Nations in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. When I found that award from Africa, uh, actually was my executive assistant that found me. He was like, Julie, you have to apply. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> you really think a Mozambican will win that award? Now, better words going to go to South Africans, to Kenyans, to Nigerians, um, maybe even Moroccans and Rwandans. Forget about Mozambican winning that. And he goes like, something that I often say, that if you make your mind into something, just go ahead and do it. No excuses. Mm -hmm. And he told me the exact same thing. I was like, okay, (laughs) let me follow my own advice here. We did apply it and I completely forgot. A couple of months after that, my coworker actually sent me the same link. Julie, you have to apply. And I'm like, dude, I gave him the same answer, literally. And I went back to check in the, uh, the application form and I was like, I already feel this, those forms. I already know those answers. And I told him, you know what? I just applied, but forget it. I'm never going to win. Fast forward another couple of months, it was actually a friend of mine that shared a social media post saying that I won because I usually got their email, but it was such a broad email. It wasn't like, congratulations, you won. It was like, oh, congratulations for submitting your applications. We just need some more info. I was like, cool, but it's going to be a different, another stage, right? And when she said the post, it was like a huge photo of mine. One of the hundreds more inflation in Africa I was like, what the heck? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Did I won? So yeah, it was literally just that. It wasn't like, I wasn't with a mindset, like, oh, I'm going to win. This is mine. It was like, I made my mind that I'm going to apply for awards. I'm going to do it. Even though I might not win, I'm going to do it. And what was the impact of this achievement then on your mission to share knowledge? It was beyond what I imagined. To give an idea, in to, since 2018, I'm used to being television. I'm used to being newspaper. But usually speaking about the project that I was managing, not speaking about myself. It wasn't mm. never about myself. It was always about supporting youth entrepreneurship in Africa, especially in Mozambique. And all of a sudden, I was having all those interviews and all those exposure to speak about my story. And for a minute, it was so discomfortable. But I guess I, then I get used that you know, to share my story was just one of the ways to inspire people to go ahead and build their own lives. Um, so it was, it was really powerful. It opened them so many doors, um, really made, um, you know, the, uh, the whole point of it. I was able to stand on those rooms and really speak what um, I believe is truth um, and really just share with the world what's going on. And mm. I couldn't be more grateful for it. And I was just thinking this might also then make you more credible sharing a failure because you yeah. already have the status. I think if yeah. you walk into a room, you're a trainer who is maybe less 
exposed or who has less of a reputation, and then you talk about your failures, you might risk to lose the respect of the group right away, right? But if you yeah. walk in there as a kind of a star, and then you say, uh -huh. you know what, this happened to me. Um, <laughs> It does change how your audience perceives you. Yeah. But to be honest, I was doing that even before I got the award, mm -hmm. right? I guess, again, it really, what really matters for participants is, first of all, you have to be honest with them. And second of all, you are adding value. If people mm -hmm. understand that you're adding value to them, all those titles, they just become an accelerator of your impact, mm. right? They're not what really builds momentum. They just accelerates. So even um, if, you know, for any listener, if they don't have the status, they don't have, you know, the track record, still make sure that you are delivering massive value. People will then start, you know, really honoring what you're teaching them and you start creating momentum. And then you will find all those accelerators. So I love that. So yeah, thank you for the reminder. And I think there's also, there is a cultural difference. I remember that when teaching in Vietnam, students uh -huh. would come to me afterwards and thanking me for sharing my knowledge. Something yeah. that is unthinkable in Europe where in Germany, <laughs> students would just lean back and say, oh, that was a boring lecture. So that's just an interesting observation. What I would be curious to hear your opinion about is, in times where basically all the knowledge is available online. You can Google it. You can watch a YouTube yeah. video. So everything you know without disrespecting your knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically true. everything that you know can be found on the internet. So yeah. what is this value? If you say that you walk into the room and you deliver massive value, yeah. what is it? So two things. I found that I agree with you. Everything that you are looking for it is in the internet in some way, shape or form. Either it's like a free resource on, I don't know, ten, Tony Robbins website <laughs> or in someone influencer YouTube channel or Instagram post, you'll find it. The first thing is that a lot of those of that knowledge, most people don't have a personal connection with it. Mm -hmm. And my theory is if you don't have a personal connection with something you're learning, you will never find a reason to apply it, mm -hmm. right? So let's say if you want to uh, fix your toilet and you go to a YouTube channel and you Google how to fix your toilet, you already have a personal connection with that subject, <laughs> right? So as a trainer, it's yeah, your mission. Definitely need. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, there is, a, there is a connection there. So as a trainer, make sure that with whatever knowledge you came across, you first you have to create a personal connection with it so then you can support uh, your trainees to also create the same relationship with the knowledge. That's the mm -hmm. number one thing, right? Two, try and test that knowledge. Because one thing is an article that says, hey, this is how you can change your life. Other thing is you reading that article, applying it to your life, and then saying, you know what? I did, I tried it out. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is how I came across right so really mm. walk your talk or talk or talk your walk <laughs> really makes a difference um yeah. to the train and then just to give an example and this is like the third point uh, i write articles on linkedin and a lot of the times what i say is that um i'm not going to just you know vomit some book the management book that i read you know my articles is not um something that people can find on um you know a podcast interview or anything like that i really go beyond you know what business schools teach what career development courses teach and really share from my perspective what's important for instance to crafting strategies right and things 
that people will only know if they talk to me personally. Mm. Right. So make sure that you put in your own personal touch and your reflection on something that is out there in the internet or something that you learn in a business school. That personal connection is the key thing. And I cannot hold back but being very provocative. So <laughs> what is there that a 25-year-old can teach, teach me about strategy? Well, a lot. My mm. life is a, a full strategy. I remember since I was a child, people would say, you're such a strategist. And I was having a conversation with one of my cousins, really. She's an amazing professional. She, I believe she's 27 years old. She has two kids, works in a bank. Um, from the outside, she has it all. And she was a person coming to me and saying, you are such a strategist. Like you don't make a move without having something in mind. And I was telling her, you know what? Half of the times I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I just come across as being that. But yeah, a lot of the times I do know what I'm doing in terms of strategy. But for instance, in that particular article, I was speaking about um, the fact that most people don't have a clear vision of what they want. I mean, if you don't know what you want, and this is not some corporate BS and I'm talking about of you having all those crazy goals. But if you don't know at least in general what you are willing to fight for, you will die for nothing, right? So make sure that you know what your vision is and what you are here for. Once you do that, it's time for you to understand that you are not here to like, you know, take steps or take actions to make sure that that goal happens. Once you already know your vision, if you connect with your vision, in my mind, it's already a reality. It's just a matter of you accelerating time and space to catch up to make that happen. Does mm. it make sense? Totally. Right? If you are mm. in a mindset that this already happened, so how can I just accelerate that? You are moving beyond the limitation that, oh, I don't have enough resources or, oh, I don't know what to do. Because it's not a matter of doing that. It's a matter of you understanding that it's done. How can I accelerate that? And if you don't know how to do it, you're just going ahead and find that knowledge. Simple yeah. as that. <laughs> I yeah. love the simplicity in it yeah, and the pragmatism. And it reminds me a lot of a book that I'm currently reading, which is called Abundance. Yeah. I don't know whether you uh, read it or heard about it. And it's actually quite old already. I think it's 2014. And what they say, it's we're always looking at scarcity. Everything is scarce. We don't have enough water. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. But it's actually not true. There is enough. The problem is not scarcity. The problem is accessibility. And yeah. that's what I hear in your words is, okay, as soon as you have a goal, it's not about, yeah, so yeah, make it accessible. Yeah, yeah, it's really just that. It's really just that. And then when comes, especially when it comes to strategy, it's not just crafting it, it's you being able to recognize its impact, right? Mm -hmm. Most people, they tend to over-focus on the outcome itself mm -hmm. and they often mistake the progress or they just overlook the progress that they're doing throughout the journey mm -hmm. right so i might not for instance my goal was to have four international awards in 2019 i got three i mean in just in a practical way did i meet my goal i didn't but wouldn't be way more you know fun and gratifying if I'm just acknowledge my progress. Mm -hmm. I mean, three awards and they're not small awards. It's such a huge stuff, right? So a lot of the times when it comes to measuring, we have the wrong measure for success. And we end up only just focusing on the outcome that we're looking for. That most of the times it's wrong. And we forget about the progress that we made. Mm. So if you 
shift your mindset to focus on the progress and then also making sure that you're creating the right measures for what you consider to be successful, you'll start understanding that you are way more successful than you believe um, that you were before. And then you'll be way more motivated to keep doing your work to reach your end goal. So how's that for uh, 25 years old teaching something about strategy? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like this um, very mature down-to-earth wisdom in it. That sometimes you don't need to overcomplicate Yeah, yeah. And you won't find that on a regular business, uh, you know, business management book or in a course. It's something that you will only find if you talk with the person, right? That's the whole point that I believe as a facilitator or as a trainer, you should make sure that you're giving to people your own personal experience with those subjects. Yes. And it, it's maybe a silly example, but for instance, if you're seeing this beautiful sunset, It's beautiful, you enjoy it. As soon as you take a picture of it and you post it somewhere, it becomes kitsch, right? And and with this kind of, I think, just wisdom, down-to-earth wisdom about strategy is, okay, put your vision out there and then believe in it and follow through. It's like when you read it as a quote on Instagram, it's just (laughs) woo-woo. Yeah, literally it is, it is, it is. (laughs) But if you stand in a room and you explain the thoughts behind it and your experience with it and you feel it and make it real for the people, then it's actually applicable knowledge. Yeah. So I think it's, it's like the sunset. It's, you need to feel it and be there. And that's what you said earlier on. Okay. If you want to learn something, you have to connect it to your own experience, but also with something that is connected to the lives of your trainees. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And also something that you also mentioned is just make sure that things are simple. Mm -hmm. As humans, we tend to overcomplicate things unnecessarily, right? Just, and in my own case, I'm not a natural simplifier, but I found that in a core, I'm more introvert than extrovert. So I'm always thinking, how can I just make sure that my human interaction is just quick and fast as possible? (laughs) (laughs) And how I cope with it was that by just delivering the maximum amount of value in the short possible time that I can ever make Mm. to make sure that the person goes on with something they really enjoyed and is useful and they don't come back for the same thing, right? So make sure that you are just simplifying things. You don't have to overcomplicate it. Make sure that right? they don't come back because they learned it at the first show. Yeah, yeah, they learned. That was my old goal. That was my own goal when I started out. And it's very useful when I'm a trainer or a speaker, right? You, just, you are effective, you're straight to the point and people get it, right? Yeah. And if they come back, they're coming back for a different challenge, not the same one. Hi, this is Andrew. I'm a facilitator and head of customer success at Session Lab, the dynamic workshop planner tool. More than 30,000 facilitators, trainers, and coaches use our workshop planner tool and save time and effort in the design process. So, how do they do it? Our drag-and-drop agenda builder makes it easy to transform your ideas into high-quality workshops, and the timing of your agenda automatically updates when you make changes. You can collaborate in real time with your colleagues and easily share professional-looking printouts with your clients. And if you need inspiration, you can check out our library of more than 500 activities and exercises and simply drag the ones you need right into your workshop agenda. So check out Session Lab to save time and effort in your workshop design process. And now get your first two months of Session Lab Pro absolutely free at sessionlab.com forward slash workshops work. I would like to come back to the knowledge sharing. Yeah. And... I wonder what your perspective is on 
what is getting in the way of knowledge sharing? What makes it so complicated? Mm. That That's a double-sided question. I believe we have to focus, let's focus on um, the training part right? as a student first, and then let's focus as a teacher, right? As a trainer. As a student, even, uh, and I, I'm not out of that uh, statistic, I'm also a student in many things. A lot of the time, we end up either questioning knowledge too soon or never questioning it at all, right? I often mm. say, if, if you are a beginner, allow yourself time to try and test it before you question. You can question, you know, the background of this knowledge, you know, where this coming from, uh, or what was the framework to even come up with this knowledge. That's great. But don't start questioning the results if you didn't even try to make it work, mm. right? As a student, focus on that. You can question, you know, oh, so how did you learn that? That's a great question. But if you are a beginner, maybe it's not the right time for you to question if it's going to work or not. <laughs> this give you a try, right? Mm -hmm. That's one. Um, the other thing is a lot of students, they tend to focus on the end product and not and where they are right now and in the progress again, right? So if you hear my story, you might think that, oh, he was just born uh, a natural trainer or a natural facilitator and there was no heartbreaks or, you know, hard work behind it. But I'm telling you, for six months, I was training from 7 a.m. to 5 a.m. No stop. Five days a week, nonstop. So do you imagine how many hours I got just for training, how many experience I got? It was super intense, right? So there's always so much hard work and smart work as well behind uh, end product. So make sure that you not only look to the end product, but you look in the progress you are making mm -hmm. as a student, right? Um, that's why sometimes you read a book once and you, when you read it twice, you get no new pieces of information, mm -hmm. right? Because you are already more in tune with the knowledge. So be open to that experience. As a trainer, I believe, and I criticize that a lot, a lot of trainers, they're very good at making sure that the three main outcomes of a training are met during the training, right? So the intellectual goals, the emotional goals, and pre-actionable goals, right? During the training, during the workshop, they're good at that. Most of them are very good at making sure that after the training, you're still meeting your intellectual goals, mm -hmm. right? So you should be able to make decisions with whatever you learn at school or in a workshop. Mm -hmm. Few of them make sure that you are also achieving your emotional goals after the workshop. That's why most people feel super pumped up during a workshop. Mm -hmm. They're like, yes, I'm going to do this. And then when they go to the real life, they go like, what am I doing? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so in very few, like I will say this is like the 1% of trainers, they make sure that you not only have the intellectual object done after the workshop, the emotional object as well, but they actually make the action, you know, the process of taking action super duper easy for their students, right? So that is such a great setback on knowledge sharing because as a student, they will go to your workshop, they learn something, they will love it, and then they go to their lives and they're like, what am I doing? What's the point of those, all this? Or how can I really take that knowledge that I learned and make it to practice? And if you put it on a long term, people start building resistance to what knowledge is very useful because when they try to validate, they got the, you know, the insight that this knowledge isn't useful or that, oh, this workshop mm -hmm. is only useful at 10% and not 100% as you are expecting as a trainer. Or maybe they're just not ready for this change emotionally because yeah. learning something is by definition a change. 
right? Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're learning something that is useful that you want to apply in your life. This means that after the training, in the best case, you behave differently than before. Yeah. This means a change. So if yeah. you're emotionally not ready to incorporate this change, to actually allow it, I've never seen it like that. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> ah. So it is, a, it is a mind changing, right? Knowledge to have. Yeah. Yes. So, so what are you doing in your training to make sure that this emotional knowledge gain remains after the workshop? A few things that you can do. One is having accountability partners or, you know, so invite your students to have accountability partners, but make sure that they know what being accountable means, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just about having students ask themselves, oh, did you do this task? It's way more than that. They have to mm -hmm. create a, a personal relationship, right? It's them understanding each other, knowing each other and working with each other. And you can do that during the training so that after the training, they still have the sort of like same um, connection going on. Mm -hmm. This is one of them. So it really comes down to creating communities where people can share you know, the challenges in you know, uh, applying that knowledge so that people don't feel as they are alone, mm. right? Because if you check with life in general, a lot of people end up thinking that they are some black sheep or they are rebels or stuff like that because they think that whatever they're going through is unique to them. Mm -hmm. And if you stop to actually research whatever you're going through, Chances are you're not the first person going through it. Someone, <laughs> someone solved your problem already. Already, right? So you don't have to go to your journey alone. And I guess, and I understand, right? A lot of the things are embarrassing. A lot of the things we don't want to share. But if you go to social media, everything is positive. Everything is great, right? Which mm. is not true. Our human experience are built with highs and lows. So making sure that that safe space continues after your training is what's going to make sure that people are emotionally available to the training. Mm -hmm. And also as a trainer, what was really challenging for me at first was understanding that even during the training, people will have different moments of understanding of your knowledge, right? So don't expect that everyone will be immediately emotionally connected with what you are teaching, right? Some people will need time. And as a facilitator, it's your role to support them in their journey so they're more ready um, mm -hmm. to learn about whatever you're sharing and allow them to don't feel connection at all. That's also valid, right? And with due time, the connection will happen. But just make sure that you are there and you are open. Your students know that they can come to you to ask questions. Yeah, and sometimes it just, as you said, it takes time and the, the light bulb moment might happen after the training only. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. oh yeah, yeah, and it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be like a you know a formal learning setup. I remember when I was just managing a program. So I've been a project manager for a few years before being a program manager, and the program director was kind of like explaining me a strategy to um, deal with stakeholders, mm -hmm. and she was trying hard and giving me different examples. And I was like, you know what? I'm not getting this. So let's just go over with it. I'll do exactly as you said. And give me like a few days for me to reflect after the results. And then I'll come to you and see if I still have questions. Just by doing that, I saved tons of time on both of our lives. And yeah, after me actually going there and implementing, I really got what she's speaking about. It was something about a lot of corporate clients, they really want to have personal connections with their service providers, not necessarily just corporate setups. And I was like, doesn't make sense, but it does a lot of, makes a lot of sense. Um, but I was only able to, connect with the knowledge after I tied it out. Mm. So something easy yeah. as that as you 
even as a student, you've been, you know what? I'm not understanding it. There's something, go ahead and do it. I'm going to stop and reflect later. And I think one easy tool that we don't use often enough is the right here, right now thing. Yeah. So yeah. if you learn something and you want to incorporate it, then try it out immediately. Because if you, if you wait for Monday, you'll never do it. <laughs> no, I mean, you will okay, I changed my life and I start on Monday. <laughs> this Monday will never come. <laughs> if you don't start applying right. it. But, so maybe it's about just designing a small exercise where you can actually apply it immediately yeah. and have this yeah. learning momentum and share it with an accountability partner. Yeah. And also allow yourself to reflect as a student. Yeah. Or even as a facilitator, allow yourself reflection moments mm. intentionally, right? And I often don't do it uh, looking for a you know, specific outcome. I just set um, some time to think. Yeah. I might be thinking about, I don't know, my niece's dog was barking. <laughs> you can start with something like that to the point where, oh, you know, that conversation with women was really insightful. I learned this, this, and that. Something that during our conversation, I'm mm -hmm. not picking it up, right? It's been a lot going on. We are sh sharing so much information. But if I set up a few minutes even to just think about our conversation without looking for specific things, just thinking about it, mm -hmm. that's when knowledge comes up. That's when insight comes up. Yeah. I recently heard that puzzling apparently is very healthy for that, that by putting together the puzzle pieces, you yeah. magically make connections in your brain <laughs> that you also put together the puzzle pieces in your brain, but it's still on my bucket list. I haven't puzzled for years. What is your favorite exercise? Talking about puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> And then this, right? <laughs> so what's your favorite exercise for a group? I, one exercise that I found myself doing way too many times, to be honest, is an exercise that I created to train people from Angola and Sudan, Angola and Mozambique at the same time. And even though for people who doesn't know, Angola and Mozambique both speak Portuguese, mm -hmm. but we couldn't be more different in terms of you know, our culture, things that we value. So I created this exercise that people will use an avatar, like a drawn avatar in paper, and they will write down the number one thing that inspires them in their lowest moment. So mm -hmm. this is not the kind of like quick fix. It's when they are down, when they want to quit, when the world is a mess, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. What do they focus on to keep them going? This could be a song, this could be a person, a quote, whatever it is, as long as it's really important and powerful to them. And then in a circle, they go ahead and share what that thing is, right? And I've found myself mm -hmm. almost crying every single moment when I do this exercise. It's so powerful. People get so vulnerable after something that is so great. They end up thinking their parents, they end up thinking things that you will never even imagine. And people end up realizing that there is so much inspiration within us. And I often say in the end of the exercise that if by any moment in your life, especially if you are an entrepreneur and coach a lot of entrepreneurs, if you find yourself trying to quit, Focus on that thing that inspires you. And if that doesn't work, let's say it was 10 people doing the exercise. Now you have another nine reasons mm. to not quit. And that's so powerful. And I keep just using it. I love it. I'm having goosebumps just by explaining the exercise to you. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I can, yeah. I can see it as a kind of closing exercise. You can do it as a closing. You can do it at the beginning. If it is a long workshop, like mm -hmm. this was a four-week training. So if you really don't want people to drop out, 
focus on that. They will, ah, if they thinking to drop out, they'll be like, oh, I'm doing this for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll speak about their children or their mother, um, the parent, or just that no one believed in them for you know, every single day in their life. And now they're doing this to prove them wrong. Whatever it is, it's not your role to judge, just to witness and honor that. Mm. And that's why I love it. You can use it whatever you want, depending in the, in the flow of your training. That's really powerful. I like that. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. <laughs> and now that we, we spoke about all these energy-giving trainings um, and sessions, what makes for you a workshop fail? Ooh, I guess it will go again with what I was explaining that most trainees just focus on the three objects during the training and they often don't care about what happens after. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, if you are a trainer, not a teacher, you don't care about good grades during the class, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you can have a student that during the training, they're like just lost <laughs> in space. But what really matters is after the training, they take value out of it and they implement it in their lives and they get results, mm-hmm. right? So not necessarily they mean, oh, I got everything and just it. So I guess most workshops fail because they are still in kind of like uh, academic setting where what really matters is right here, right now, if the student got it or not. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole point of a workshop is the results that you get for life, not necessarily during that moment. So my advice would be, if you're a trainer, try to shift your mindset to how will this knowledge impact the life of this trainee after my training? That's where your focus should be on. Mm. And how do you think would this mindset shift translate in a shift in the design of the training? Ooh, that will change because you will start even before drafting any training, you will start focusing on your target group. So I remember uh, even when I was delivering my first one, and we were actually doing it as a market research type of thing to get an understanding of what type of courses people will be more drawn to. And I remember when we were starting out, I was super duper on marketing. I believe that marketing was the thing. Um, you know, there is personal marketing, business marketing. It's just marketing. <laughs> to my surprise, <laughs> and I'm not saying this lighthearted, but my surprise, we did over 500 interviews with people. Really, we will sit down with people and connect with them and understand their background and everything, right? And only around three people out of 500 mm-hmm. were interested in marketing. And I was sitting with my co-founder like, what's wrong with people? Can you imagine this disappointment? What? I was heartbroken. Like, yeah, don't they get them? Marketing is the thing. And I, it wasn't. Around for my for my target group, it wasn't. They were more interested in HR, in basic English, IT. So I had to make a tough decision to really put myself aside and really focus on why my students, why my potential students who really wanted to. And there was really one of the main reasons why our courses were so successful because we were really focusing on how people want it and how we could then support them into achieving that. And also it was related during my session, right? I told you a story that in my first session, I had to completely forget my session plan to just mm-hmm. make sure that everyone was in the same page, you know, willing to share and learn um, and really go together with this journey. So again, really focusing on your client. And this even goes beyond on, I, everyone has a set of favorite tools, right? But your tools are not going to help your customer 
that is your trainees, right? Mm. To achieve their goals, maybe you need a new tool. And if you have to go ahead and learn this tool, it's okay, right? Don't be around, oh, I'm going to use, um, in my case, I do a lot of business training. Oh, I'm going to use business model Canva or I'm going to use this marketing exercise. If that's not going to cut the deal for your customer, forget about it. <laughs> mm. And that's how I found that I end up innovating a lot because it's not just me trying to use whatever I have in my knowledge library. It's really focusing about what people need. And then I'm going to go ahead and find that and bring it to them. Of course, in a fun way that resonates with me, but I will say it's 20% me and 80% my students on a course. Beautiful. And it, it reminds me how you spoke about strategy before. So the moment you yeah. focus on the future and the future outcome, then everything unfolds on the way to get there. So what I hear is the same for your training. As soon as you focus on the better version of the students after the training. So yeah. these people, they could be after having the knowledge you shared with them and then just backward engineering. Exactly. You how see how everything is connected, right? And that's something that you wouldn't read in a book necessarily yet, right? You still Oh, it will sound book. like Hitch. It will <laughs> make sense. You read it on Instagram. You're like, okay, that sounds nice. I can write that on the, on the toilet wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Um, yeah, um, but it's shallow. What I learned from my time in doing research and working in Africa was this mindset of there's always a solution. So as you yeah. said, so this kind of abundance mindset, and it's kind of counterintuitive in a country where uh -huh. you're constantly faced with constraints and restrictions and scarcity, everything is scarce, but then yeah. you realize how much it's really a mindset. Um, in Burkina, they always said, "Ya pas de problème, ya que des solutions. There are no problems, there are only solutions. <laughs> When, yeah. you are, when I ask, okay, do, I saw on the menu Coke Light and I was addicted to Coke Light. I was so excited. Ah, oh, Coke Light, I want a Diet Coke. No, do you have Diet Coke? Yes, 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 we have, but it's out now. Oh. <laughs> so it's, That happens a lot. And this Africa. was in 99% of the cases. So they had it on the menu. So the, the status quo was, yes, we have it. Well, we don't it's have it on stock, stock right now. It's out of stock right yeah. now, but in general, we have it. And I think that's yeah. a mindset. With a lot of uh, foreigners and expats here in, in Africa in general, I often ask them, you know, ask if they have it in the house. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm African and I forget. I was one time on this small restaurant and I asked for chicken and chips. That's the easiest mm -hmm. thing you can have in Mozambique, like fast and quick. And they told me, oh yeah, 30 minutes. And 30 minutes went on and I was like, where's my chicken, guys? Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, when the guy went to pick it up on his farm. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you tell me that? I would have asked something else. And they were like, no, no, but he's coming. That's the thing with Africans. It's always coming. You know, it's, we're always sorting it out. And I guess, you know, if you look on where that mindset comes from, I believe that most people's scarcity mindset comes from, you know, the fat money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because let's just face it, not... Till this age, natural resources is one of the things that we have the most, right? Mm. If we use it wisely and sustainably, a lot of generations will still have access to it. So there is an infinite amount of abundance in the world. But once we created uh, fiat money to represent that abundance, that's when things started to become scarce, right? Because there is a limited amount of money 
available in the world, apparently, mm-hmm. right? But remember that mind is just a representation of abundance that is infinite. So that's when most things come in um, from. And if you come to Africa, we have resources everywhere, right? So that's why people are saying, you know what? Things will come, you know? There's always been a different chicken. There's going mm-hmm. to be fish in the, in the sea, you know? Because we, are, we live in an abundant world. Yeah. Yeah, in an abundance mindset. And I think yeah. even for money, money is not scarce. It's not. It, it's, it, not. it's not accessible to very many people. But it's yeah. just a matter of distribution and how to make it accessible. Yeah, yeah. and remember, this money is just a representation yeah. of wealth, right? So it's not the yeah. real deal in the end of the day. So yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, you cannot eat it. <laughs> not at all. You cannot drink it. <laughs> Right, you cannot share, like you cannot really just hug money and think that you're hugging a human being. It's not the same thing. <laughs> no, no. I don't think so. Is there any? We have talked about so many things. <laughs> we did. Is there anything that we have not touched upon that you would like to share with the audience? Yes, the thing with learning and trainings and teaching and all of the thing i found a lot of the time we end up focusing on the strategy part of things you know we focus on the action steps which is they're very important right Um, but we often forget about the person we have to become to get Mm -hmm. our goals right so it's if you're trying to be an entrepreneur it's not about having the strategy to set up a business it's about the person you have to become to be able to implement the strategies and have the results that you are looking to have and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. So there is, in my opinion, a way bigger shift in mindset that an identity that has to happen way more than just the action steps. Mm-hmm. And if you look around, a lot of people, they just focus on the action steps. They end up having to fight imposter syndrome because they don't feel as if they're worthy of having what they're having and doing mm-hmm. what they're doing because they never became the person there's actually doing those things. But if you focus on shifting your identity, you end up doing those things almost naturally because your mindset has shifted. You have changed and upgraded as a human being. Yeah, you already became this human being as soon as you put the vision on your board and in your head. And you connected with it and you know that it's already done. I I just have to go and accelerate things. Yeah. I love how your, this simple concept is kind of consistently... Goes for everything that you that you I'll, think and say in your honest, training I, strategy. Yeah. I always implement that. Man, yeah. that's what got me here. <laughs> I love it. I will copy you. Find this oh, very inspiring. Do. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> yeah, I will start right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Great. <laughs> Great. If someone fell asleep after minute one, just woke up and thinks, <laughs> Oh my goodness, I missed the show. What was it about? <laughs> what I would you tell them? It was about leading the co-creation of your life through training and facilitation. Mm, beautiful. Because for everything that we spoke about, you can use it for your academic degree, for your business, for your career, for your relationships. Is cross-cutting, really. Facilitating life. Yeah. Awesome. We are all in that game. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Julio, for your time, for your wisdom, for sharing, for laughter. <laughs> we enjoyed it. Thank you, Miriam. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you very much for having me here. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for staying tuned and listening to the show. 
I appreciate your attention as I know how busy you are. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and engage by sharing your comments and thoughts and visit workshops.work to download the one-page summary. I'm looking forward to seeing you back at the next episode and I wish you a fruitful day. Thank <laughs> you.